0: When were the...
1: What school's... Who decides what the next...
0: Where's that story? Why they keep the loop... What is this?
2: It's Curious City.
3: Where WBEZ answers your questions...
2: About
1: Chicago, the region, and its people.
3: Hey, it's Jesse Dukes, audio producer. And I've got a story about a group of people moving to Chicago in search of a better life. Now... We may be familiar with the Chicago migration stories involving the Polish, the Irish, and Latinos. And of course, the migration of black Southerners to the city was huge, half a million between 1916 and 1970. But there were also tens of thousands of white Southerners who came to Chicago, many from the Appalachian region. The biggest concentration was in Uptown, a North Side neighborhood on the lake just north of Irving Park. We recently got a question about them. It's from Matthew Bird, a college student in Iowa who grew up here.
2: I was wondering why so many migrants from Appalachia came to the Uptown neighborhood in the 50s and 60s. And I want to know why so many of them decided to go back home, down back south.
3: The question is personal. Matthew's grandparents were Appalachian migrants. They came here from West Virginia in the 60s.
2: And I always asked them why they all came to Uptown. And they could never give me a definitive answer. They're just like, oh, we came because we had a friend or what. I I wanted to know why, like, they all came to that neighborhood. Why didn't they come to, I don't know, Bridgeport?
3: So Curious City put me, a recent Southern migrant myself, on the case. And we're going to break Matthew's question down into its elements. Why did so many Southerners come to Chicago? Why Uptown? And why did so many leave? Or did they leave? Along the way, we'll talk to scholars and activists, and we'll hear from Matthew's grandparents. You probably can guess why so many people came to Chicago. And in fact, Matthew could have gotten this one from his grandfather.
0: Well, I had uh, relatives there. My wife's mother and father were, were there. They had offered to get me a job if I'd come up there.
3: Glenn Lambert says when he graduated high school in West Virginia in 1965, he knew what his options were.
0: Either go to work in a coal mine or work for minimum wage. That's my only choices I really had there.
3: They're nothing but coal mines. So it makes sense that Matthew Bird's grandfather would come north. But his was really the first generation to make that trip, even though the economy of Appalachia had been poor since well before the Civil War. So why didn't Southerners come north before that? Chad Berry is a historian who studied the Southern white migrations of the 20th century. He says until the 1920s, most big industrial employers in northern cities like Chicago and Detroit hired immigrants from overseas. But after World War I, the U.S. massively restricted immigration from other countries. So big business started looking domestically.
0: They looked in three places, white, blacks, and domestic-born Latino people.
3: At this point, some Southerners, white and black, did start migrating, but it was just a trickle. And the Great Depression put that on pause.
0: And then after World War II, this amazing demand for manufacturing. Chicago was a real magnet for workers, just as Detroit and Indianapolis and Cleveland and other countless places were in the Midwest.
3: By the 1960s, there were an estimated 30,000 white Southerners in uptown. And they kept coming.
1: Migrants spoke of being able to leave a
3: job, and walk across the street and get another one. This is Roger Guy, a sociologist who interviewed Southerners in Uptown in the 1990s.
1: Now we're talking about light industrial. For example, Polaroid and Zenith, and when they were just starting to produce, let's say, what was that camera, The Swinger?
3: Yep, The Swinger. Southerners also worked in carpentry shops, candy factories. When Matthew's grandfather showed up in 1969, there were still jobs.
0: I came to Chicago on Sunday. I went to uh, SSA Electric Company on Monday morning, and I went to work Monday night on the night shift.
3: So, yeah, Southerners came for the abundant jobs. But Matthew also wanted to know why Uptown specifically. Roger Guy says everybody told him the same thing Matthew's grandparents said. Everyone that you'd ask, they'd say, well, I had Ken up there, I had folk, I had a cousin, I had a sister. Sure, makes sense, but somebody had to be the first to say, maybe we'll rent a place in Uptown. And we don't know who that was or even when exactly. But it is worth looking at what Uptown was before the 1950s.
1: In the 1920s, Uptown emerged as sort of a center district of entertainment with the Aragon Ballroom and the places
3: like the Uptown Theater. It was full of young professionals and swanky housing. Think the Great Gatsby, but set in the Middle West. But during the Depression, it went into a decline. The fancy people left, the nightlife got seedy, landlords couldn't find wealthy clients for their grand, beautiful apartments, they deferred maintenance to save money. You just had a deterioration of housing stock, coupled with the desire to still make them
1: profitable. And that led to them being divided and subdivided again.
3: So that by the late 1940s, you got a lot of tiny, cheap apartments, which was perfect for Southerners with jobs near the north side and not a lot of cash. By the 1960s, Uptown had a nickname.
4: It sounds terrible now, but they still call it that. You know, they used to call Uptown uh, Hillbilly Heaven.
3: This is Linda Lambert, Matthew's grandmother. Her family came to Chicago in 1965 after her father was injured in the coal mines.
4: We kind of got a little bit of a shock when we moved to Uptown because there were many, many Southern people there, but they weren't the Southern people that, like, we were used to being around. They were a little bit rough around the edges. (laughs) You know, like if I would get ready to go to the store or something, my dad would watch me walk down the block because somebody would be whistling at me or something, and You know, it was kind of upsetting and kind of scary a little bit.
3: Uptown still had a nightlife, but now it was country music in the bars. Many of the Southerners who came were that sort of young single men you might find in an oil boom town, you know, looking to work for a few weeks and then party.
2: Authorities are reluctant to point a finger at any one segment of the population or nationality group, but they agree that the Southern hillbilly migrants... Who have descended on Chicago like a plague of locusts in the last few years.
3: This is from a series in the Chicago Tribune in the 50s. The first article was called Girl Reporter Visits Jungles of Hillbillies. And it was full of just nonsense, like this.
2: They get married one day, unmarried the next, and in the confusion of common law marriages, many children never know who their parents are, and nobody
4: cares. The Southerners did have a bad reputation, and I'm sure they still do in some areas. I don't think it's true. I think it's just like any other culture. You know, it's you got your good, you got your bad, you know. But there was a lot of poverty. That is true. But a lot of people lived there only until they could do better. You know, that was just a stop in the road.
3: Uptown went from Jazz Age Fancy District to, quote, hillbilly heaven, and then to something else. Matthew's still wondering what happened to the Southerners during that last transition, because they're not in Uptown. That last phase began in the late 1960s, as the abundant jobs started vanishing. Uptown's rough reputation got rougher, and the city and developers pushed for urban renewal. A former alderman there, Helen Schiller, remembers Uptown in the 70s and 80s. city's
1: policy generally, on the north side at least, was to create public works project in specific communities where they wanted to remove people, basically.
3: The developers and city officials said the development was necessary to revitalize the neighborhood, and that if people got displaced, that would be unfortunate, but, well... Sociologist Roger Guy says even if they didn't actively target the poor, the poor usually lost out. Uptown became contested space. One advocacy group proposed this, well, utopian mixed-use development called Hank Williams Village. They named it after the country singer. It would have an employment agency, a pharmacy, and affordable housing. It was one of several attempts to plan for development that would also accommodate the poor, including white Southerners.
1: But that wasn't what was happening. A handful of developers were redefining the community in real estate terms and claiming parts of it had deep pockets and bought up large tracts of family housing, kicked people out wholesale, and then tripled, and sometimes even quadrupled the rent.
3: That's when, by many accounts, Southerners were priced out of Uptown and left Chicago altogether. Some went back south, to the relatively bleak prospects of coal towns. Some looked for jobs in other industrial cities, like Detroit or Cleveland. And of course, some had left Uptown years before. Matthew's grandparents, the Lamberts, were shrewd, hardworking. But, and I think they'd agree with this, they were lucky, too. Glenn's job at SNC was stable and paid well. Linda worked, too. That allowed them to move to a shady street in Ravenswood, a nearby Northside neighborhood, raise kids, and eventually retire to Kentucky. And historian Chad Berry says there were a lot of people like that.
0: People who did find the economic dream they were looking for often moved on. And when they moved on, they might have bought a little brick tiny house in the suburbs. On one side was a Polish-American family. On the other side might have been a Lithuanian-American family. And right in the middle there was a Southern or appalachian family.
3: Matthew and I take a visit to Truman College, which took out several blocks of housing when it was built and displaced thousands of Southerners but it helps Southern no, no, families, no, no, too. No,
2: no, exactly. Like My, my mom uh, got a nursing degree from Truman College, yeah. and that's one of the reasons I can go to college because of that. So,
3: The campus is back. green and airy, exactly. and from the top floor of the parking deck, you can look out on the busy uptown streets and imagine how it you once know, looked.
2: When you're up here and you're looking at it and you're seeing all these people, like, it's a really beautiful thing. And the fact that people from, like, a part of the nation that was very kind of poor and, and kind of isolated came up here and made a life for themselves and, and made a life for their children. It's, that's the hope of the city. It's not its not just their story, it's like Chicago's story.
3: But he also feels that for the people who were pushed out of Uptown, Chicago let them down.
2: There's success and there's failure. And I think the failure means that the next time a large group of people from like a, a, a part of the country or part of the world that's kind of maligned comes here, just, just do by them better than we did by... You know, the people from Appalachia or the people from Poland or Africa or Vietnam to, to do better by them.
3: Reporting this week came from me, Jesse Dukes. We had more than a little help from Matthew Byrd and his family. Thanks to the Chicago History Museum for sharing their archives. Curious City was founded by Jennifer Brandell, WBEZ, AIR, and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support comes from the Doris and Howard Conant Fund for journalism. My
2: granddaddy was a minor, but a finalist all the time. He didn't have much, just a beat-up truck and a dream about a better life.
0: Curious City on WBEZ is supported by New Belgium Brewing. Join New Belgium and Good Beer Hunting for the slow ride sessions. Opportunities to learn from Chicago's best artisans and makers as they share their practices in intimate hands-on workshops. Giving folks a chance to check out from the busyness of the day-to-day and enjoy learning something new over a few beers. Next session is the art of scratchboard and screen printing with local artist Dan Jetsa. Dan's work is unmistakable and iconic. Learn scratchboard techniques and get hands-on with the screen printing process in his Chicago studio. More info and tickets at goodbeerhunting.com slow slowride.
4: Now were worked and I saved
2: money so and one day he might send My old man off to college to use his brain to knife his hands. Grandmama cried when he said goodbye and never.
4: Next time on Curious City, what happens to poo at the zoo?
1: Special note on the hippos, they're the messiest of all animals because um, they need to advertise their territories. But instead of just dropping the feces, they use their tail like a propeller and they spray it all over the place.
4: Fecal matters. That's next time on WBEZ's Curious City.